0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Matt Thario with me. Matt is the guy behind EpicRealEstate.com. Matt is also the do-over guy as he shows people how to start over, setting goals and objectives so they can create wealth and live life to the fullest. He is a U.S. Marine, a Desert Storm veteran. Welcome.
1: Thank you, George.
0: Thank you for being here, Matt, and and thank you very much for your service.
1: Oh, oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. After a successful
0: tour of duty in the U.S. Marine Corps, you have spent the next 13 years of your life in the music business running a small record label. How did you get started in the music business?
1: It started back in in, uh, basically middle school. I was, uh, I think, fifth grade or sixth grade. I was in the musical theater and we're doing a production of Flashdance <laughs> and uh <laughs> I was born and raised in uh, in Newport Beach and in, and in Irvine in Orange County California and it's a very much a, a yuppie type neighborhood yuppie type community and uh We were doing this production of Flashdance, and we needed break dancers. So our teacher had looked into hiring some, and then after she saw the price of of what they wanted, she decided to hire someone to come in and teach the two guys that were in the musical theater class. So they taught us break dancing, and the guy brought his little radio in, and he put in a cassette, and I fell in love immediately with the music. And that just kind of evolved into me being uh, a disc jockey, and then I started to produce my own records, and so I, I got a couple little small paying gigs just before I went into the Marine Corps. And I went into the reserves thinking I could still manage both the, the Marine Corps reserves, my college and uh, and my music career. And then this thing called a war came along. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what is this war thing? I didn't sign up for this. And, uh you know, I read the fine print and I absolutely did sign up for it. And so I, I was activated into uh, for Operation Desert Storm. I spent more time on active duty than I did as a reservist. But uh, fortunately, we we won that war, and we were the country was euphoric. And you know, the uh, my, the memory music business I managed to keep it intact. And I got mm-hmm. I got issued a, a record deal after about four and a half, almost five years of service in the Marine Corps. And I had one more year to go. And I took that that piece of paper to my uh, commanding officer and asked them, Hey, uh, any chance of me getting out of here a little early? I've got this music career I want to get back to. And, you know, I was very fortunate that we did win that war and everybody was really happy and everybody was patriotic and everybody was just, you know, euphoric, like I said. Mm -hmm. So he was like, I'm not going to stand in your way. And he gave it to the, the, uh, his commanding officer and he was like wow this is the coolest thing i've ever seen i'm not going to stand in your way and i went all the way up to the base general and the base general said this is really cool hey you've served your country uh you're free to go wow that's awesome yeah so i mean i think about it like they even made you know elvis presley serve and they let me out yeah you know <laughs> and uh, i don't know if they've done did that before if they've ever done it since but i was it was just good timing so i had uh gotten out They they honorably discharged me, and I started. uh, I signed a small recording contract with a small label, and we released a single, and it went absolutely nowhere. I think we had like two weeks on the radio, and it was done. Mm -hmm. And they let us go just like that. So, like in two weeks, that whole thing was over. And uh,
0: so, it's like a big high and then a big low. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. But what I did get a chance to notice, and it wasn't just two weeks, it was about about nine months, almost a year in the making once I was released. But once we were released like just two weeks after the single was released. But through that whole year, I got to really watch and observe how the music industry worked. And so as soon as they cut us, I started uh, producing and releasing my own records, selling them out of the trunk of my car to local record stores. And caught the attention of a, a small record distributor who started buying hundreds and hundreds of my records. And that caught the attention of EMI, who started, who gave me a, a, a six-figure contract to distribute my records worldwide. And wow.
0: I mean, how was that whole thing? Did that come about fairly easily? Because right now it sounds like, you know, it was like a walk in a park or were there some challenges with
1: that deal, yeah, definitely. I, I didn't want to give you every single detail, but uh, it took uh, I sold records out of the trunk of my car for about a year. Mm-hmm. I would drove from store to store, I would put my records on consignment. And, so, and
0: did you make a living? Were you able to make a living from that,
1: or barely? Barely, barely. as mm-hmm. long as I okay. kept releasing records, there was enough money to I could keep moving. But uh, none of the records sold enough to where, like, oh, I got rich off of one record. But as long as I kept product in, the, in circulation, I was doing okay. Okay. And then...
0: Uh, and then the EMI deal. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: what did that mean to your business in terms of revenue and success?
1: Gosh, instead of selling hundreds, I was selling thousands. Mm-hmm. And they were selling worldwide. And I started, you know, when you're just focused on one small little region in, in your own state, and all of a sudden you have the whole globe available to you and we're selling thousands to japan and thousands to germany and thousands to to um the philippines and just everywhere and Mm -hmm. so that changed everything and so i started to produce more and more records and i grouped my friends together and we had this great life and this great existence and you know we'd uh Record from say twelve in the afternoon till about eight or nine o'clock at night. We'd go out at night and party and promote our records. We'd come back home about two or three in the morning. We'd sleep till eleven and do it all over again. And in your twenties, like yeah, in your twenties, that was a blast. And not a whole lot of responsibility, and you're making a lot of money. And and I essentially made my millions by the time I was thirty. Mm-hmm. And life was really good. And then I don't know, right around thirty, when I was 32, 33, I forget the exact year. Might have been. 98 99 somewhere in there um i had this formula that was working over and over and over again to sell my records and really quickly it started to uh fail me it started to work less and less with each release significant why was that well at the time i didn't know so i kept throwing money at that same formula trying to make it work again because it had worked for so long and in hindsight what was going on was the digital download came along and basically turned the whole industry upside down and you know obliterated the business model that uh, the music industry was built on selling records selling CDs
0: so how how long did it take you to do really well to really just being broke was it a matter of weeks months years it's,
1: yeah it, it took, it was, you know, my, my success was 10 years in the making. Those, those last 10 years to say year nine and 10 were, mm-hmm. uh, were really profitable, but we came crashing down in about six months time. And about okay. six months later, all of the music stores totally disappeared as well. So people just, it just changed how people consumed music. They weren't buying CDs anymore. And that's where our profit center was. And they started uh, downloading free stuff. And we, we were in an underground hip hop label. And that underground audience, and it doesn't matter whether it's underground hip hop or underground rock or underground dance, they were a little bit more tech savvy than the rest of the world when it came to digital download, and they embraced that technology much faster than everyone else. So we were out of business before iTunes was even ever came around. And so, you know, before the yeah. general public even knew what a download was, we were done.
0: Yeah, so, so what happened when, uh, when you realized that this is not Going to be a viable business anymore. What What did you do at then uh, at that point? Did you feel sorry for yourself? Did you say, "Well, no big deal. I'm gonna do something else." I mean, what What was what was that whole thought process?
1: Sure, I was really bitter. I was really bitter. <laughs> was really, bitter? Uh, yeah, because wow. uh, this was something that I just envisioned myself doing forever. I was on my way, being in my eyes, to being puff daddy, and I wasn't gonna stop until I got there. And I just felt like you know, the carpet was pulled out from underneath me and technology got in my way and thwarted my life's plans. And I was really angry. I was like, why? Why Why me? Why did this happen to me? And it was a big, giant pity party. I was, I was angry at everything. And I just got to it. How a, long did it take? That, how, how long were you angry? Oh, I, bagged, I, I ended up, after I found out there was no more, uh, there was no job opportunities for an out-of-work music executive, that uh, I ended up bagging groceries. I had to eat and so you had no money saved from your good days no well what happened george was that i kept on throwing money at that same formula until i had none left so Mm -hmm. i wrote it right into the ground and i wrote it hard and and i crashed really hard okay and so i I just like
0: holding onto a bad stock right
1: exactly exactly and it turned to a penny stock eventually and and that's what i had left and so i had to do something and after uh uh you know, of a very vigorous job search, I ended up with what I, whatever I could find. And that was bagging groceries.
0: So how did that feel?
1: Duh. I think about it and I can, uh, I can make myself kind of depressed or sad. And when I think back about it, I mean, it was all a blessing in hindsight, but at that time Mm -hmm. I just couldn't believe it. I was 34 years old and I'm sitting there bagging groceries on the next check stand. was a 16 year old doing the same job I was. And this is after a time where, you know, I was, had six figure months and now here I am with a a $7 an hour job. And, uh, that was really tough to get, uh, to get, I don't know, a grasp around what, what was my new reality. I mean,
0: so while you were doing the, I mean, what were you thinking were you looking at a bunch of different ideas were you uh just stayed at home and watched tv i mean what what were you doing while bagging groceries
1: you know for a while i was just i didn't know what to do i didn't have a plan b i didn't i didn't didn't make it all the way through college so i didn't have the the paperwork or the credentials i knew i was smart i knew i was intelligent i knew i was much uh better equipped than just to bag groceries but i just didn't know where to go or what to do I didn't know what I wanted to do because music had been my whole life up to that point. And, you know, I looked at... And you looked into some ideas, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, what were
0: some of the ideas that you were considering after?
1: Sure. Well, what what came up to me frequently were MLM, multi-level marketing opportunities, um, all anything I to do with sales. I had some friends that were selling cars. I had some friends that were selling insurance. Um, I had looked into franchise opportunities and... You know, while I was kind of mulling over all of those and trying to decide which one I was going to choose, um, the the store manager, the grocery store manager, had come to me and he had said, "Matt, if you really want your life back, if you want to recreate that life you had in the music business, you know, the the last and final frontier for the average person to create real wealth for themselves is going to be through real estate. So stop looking at all these other things and and, and look at real estate because that's where more millionaires and billionaires have been created than any other industry, any other investment vehicle." So, you know, if you got to do something, if you have to start and learn something over or start new, you might as well start where your, your chances of success are the greatest, where more people have done it than anywhere else. And, and at that point, after about six or seven months of bagging groceries, that, I was open to anything. And that logic, that was just – that was the most sound logic I'd ever heard in my life. And, you know, I just – I grabbed it and I, I took it and that's where I took off for, and that's how I ended up in real estate.
0: So, so when you got started in real estate, um, what was that whole experience? Did, did it feel right for you, for you from the beginning? Um, you know, how, how did, how did that work for you?
1: Sure. Well, that night when, after I'd had that conversation, I had went home, took a bottle of wine home, started Googling and, and trying to figure out where to start in real estate. And after about a couple hours of doing online research, I discovered that an aunt that I hadn't talked to in probably 15 years at that time, uh, was the number one real estate agent and just, I don't know, probably just the city over and maybe two cities over. And she had been the number one agent there for 27 years. And I was like, wow, okay, this is a sign. So I had sent her an email and the next day we actually had lunch. And within, I don't know, 24, 48 hours from there, I was in, uh, school, real estate school to get my real estate license. And that's how that started. And I, that first year, I did very well. I got rookie of the year in our office.
0: And the next. So why did you do well? Because, I mean, real estate is a very low barrier to entry field, right? Mm-hmm. But most people fail. So what, what, was it just bagging groceries? You didn't want to go back or what, 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 what helped you? You know, I, basically beat most people that ever get into real estate just by being successful.
1: You know, George, I think you kind of almost hit it right on the head where I knew what the alternative was. The I'd, I'd searched. I'd looked for the jobs. I had looked at other opportunities. I had hit bottom and, and bad groceries. And I knew what the alternative was, and I did not want that. So the that pain knowing what that, that would be my reality if I didn't succeed. That's what really drove me and that's what kept me going. So I latched onto a couple mentors in the, in the real estate office and I just kind of surrendered to their ways and did what they told me to do. And I did it religiously and I did it every single day and I did it consistently and it just, it worked. And I have kind of come to learn that that's how everything works. I mean, There's a, everyone has done something, has done it before you've done it. And so there's a, there's a step or a procedure that you can follow. And if you just be consistent and committed to that procedure, you know, you can create similar results and that's what happened for me.
0: So within the the same year of starting, you actually were selling and you were succeeding and then you you got into real estate investing as well, right? When Mm -hmm. did that happen?
1: Well, after four years of, of being a real estate agent, and I was a relatively successful agent, I had kind of just looked around and, and realized that, wow, I'm, I'm making decent money. It's much better than the $7 an hour that I was making. <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't have any time. I was working 60, 70 hours a week, and, and most of that time was done on the weekend. So I didn't have – I wasn't having a whole lot of fun. And there was one day where I – One of my clients, and he was a really good client of mine, he gave me repeat business. He gave me that business over and over and over again. And we had a a meeting scheduled for a Saturday afternoon. And he drove in, I don't know, he was probably 20 minutes late. And he showed up in his T-shirt and his jeans. And I'm sitting there dressed up in a suit and tie with all of his paperwork laid out waiting for him. He comes in, signs everything. Sorry I'm late, Matt, but here's the signatures. Go ahead. All right, see you later. I'm I'm taking off for the weekend. And I was just like, wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the, I think when when that store manager told me that real estate is where the money's at and that's where all the wealth has been created, I, I think I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk. I want to be the investor. I want real estate agents working for me. I don't want to be the agent working for investors. So that was time. It was a signal for me to make another shift.
0: So then how did you learn? Uh, because, I mean, there is a big difference, right, between selling and investing in real estate. So uh, how did you learn?
1: That's that's good, uh, good observation, George, because most people don't realize that. They think they're almost one of the same. Um, yeah, so I, getting a real estate license and being a real estate agent does absolutely nothing to prepare you to be a real estate investor. And fortunately, one of those multi-level marketing opportunities that had been buzzing around my head had to do with selling real estate investing education. But in order to sell the real estate investing education, just kind of the way MLMs work, is you had to buy the product yourself. And the product was very expensive. It was a $22,000 investment that I made on this real estate investing education. And I was very fortunate to find a good and sound education the very first time out. Because from what I've learned since is that not all of those educations and programs are created equal. But I was fortunate enough to find a good one first. And so I just – I took both income opportunities that they gave me. I could make my, my money by selling the education and then I could make my money by implementing the education. And I took on both. And mm-hmm. so that that's how the education part started for me.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many people that sell on stuff on how to do anything, not just to sell real estate. So how can you tell – when somebody's the real thing as opposed to somebody just, you know, copied somebody else's stuff and, hey, I'm now telling you how to do this or, or teaching you how to do that.
1: Right. I don't know if there's a surefire way to tell. One thing I have noticed, though, and because now I teach myself, so I've kind of have a, I get, I've been able to see it from both sides, is that most of the information out there, it, it's it's out there because it has probably worked for somebody somewhere. So, I think it all kind of works. It just kind of depends if the person pursuing it works. You know, the um, a lot of people, I wonder if this is going to work or is this program going to work or is this strategy going to work? I think essentially they all can work. It's just if the person is going to work, it is where the real difference is made. Okay.
0: So how did you market yourself starting out uh,
1: teaching others
0: uh, how to be an investor?
1: Oh, well, that was kind of a, a weird scenario, or that wasn't planned. Um, I had re- decided to write a book, and this was more of a, a, a marketing piece to create some credibility for myself inside of this multi-level marketing company. And I wrote a book called Do Over, and that was about my, my rise in the music business, my fall to and groceries, and my re-rise through real estate. And so I wrote this book, and I explained, you know, kind of the lessons I've learned and, and my experiences and what I've, I've chosen to, to keep doing that worked before and stop doing what didn't work in the past. And I decided to self-publish that book. And while I was investigating and researching on how to uh, publish your own book, I stumbled upon podcasts. And I said, OK, well, this is one avenue. So let's try this and give that a shot. I've n- had no broadcasting experience or anything like that. So I started a, a podcast called Do-Over, and my first 20 episodes were just me reading the first 20 chapters of my book. That, that's all I really knew how to do. And I was <laughs> like, let's go ahead and just see what happens. And you know, by the time I reached chapter 11 or 12, which would have been episode 11 or 12, I started to notice a significant increase in my downloads. And then a couple more episodes later, I started to notice a significant increase in the correspondence I was having with the audience that was listening. And then uh, by the time I hit episode 20, I was actually ranking. I think I was like a top 20 self-help podcast. And I was like, wow, there might be something to this. So,
0: And why do you think that happened? I mean, uh, I mean was it kind of an accident? But there was no accidents. I mean, you had to do something right, right? I mean, wh- yeah. why do you think
1: that happened? I think I – one reason is I wasn't selling anything. I think I think pe- that the podcast audience really appreciates the the lack of sales. I mean the, the podcasts are free. The podcasters have to make a living some way to keep promoting or keep producing a, a free product. But I really was just trying to sell the book, and the book was you know nineteen bucks. But I didn't really even promote the book on the uh, the podcast too much. And the other part of that was. Um, it's very just real, very transparent. Mm-hmm. My book was rather vulnerable from my perspective. Um, I was very giving. I was very just like, like transparent. And in mm-hmm. hindsight, it turned out that transparency turned that turned out to be like the, the, the trend in marketing. You know, and yeah. there's a lot of podcasters now and a lot of marketers that are just very vulnerable and very real. And they're having great success with it. I mean, you know, um, I think the one that comes to my mind immediately is, is Pat Flynn. Mm -hmm. You know, he's very vulnerable and very, you know, transparent. Like, here, this is how it works and this is how much money I make. And so if you want to do it, this is how I did it. So go do it, you know. And that's where I was, uh, that's where I, the position I was in. And I guess I just fell right in the trend without knowing I was falling into this marketing trend. And, uh, you know, so all my experiences and all my references in this podcast were either about music business or about real estate because I was always relating my experiences. And then a Mm -hmm. lot of questions started to come in about real estate. And I didn't want that podcast, my do-over podcast, to become a real estate podcast. So I had started a second one. Okay. So that's when I started Epic Real Estate Investing. And that one just exploded. And now it's the number one real estate investing podcast on iTunes. And so I was like, well, I love these podcasts, but I just I can't do them and keep up a, a consistent schedule and do it for free. I just can't. I don't, I've got to keep the lights on. I've got to eat myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and my, my real estate was going well, but it was like, OK, so how do I divide my time between this free thing and the thing that actually pays me? So what I decided to do is I just put a, a free course online that led to a paid course and people started signing up. It was just kind of happened.
0: And how long did it take you to build that course, the free course, and then the paid course?
1: It actually, it, it took me a year to think about it. <laughs> so um, then I'd, I'd heard on someone's podcast, I think it was the Internet Business Mastery Podcast. They, they have a great show. And I think that's where Pat mm-hmm. Flynn learned how to do what he does. They, they had talked about how to sell the course before you actually build it. And so that's really what I did. Is I just built the first lesson. And then I put the the mark, I followed their little marketing structure, and I and I sold the course. And and that course that the initial one was you'd get a, a lesson every week for ten weeks. So I only sold the first week, and you know that first weekend. I don't know. I made I don't know it was thirty forty thousand dollars in a weekend. I was That's a, pretty good
0: for a weekend. Yeah, I was I was pretty
1: excited. <laughs> I mean, it was a year in the making, but you know, once I finally pushed the trigger and asked for the sale and ask for people to become members of my online community. I made about 30 grand that weekend. I was like, wow. And what that did was, well, now I got to make lesson two, because I didn't have lesson two made at that time. So I had to stay one week ahead of my people. And I had people saying, hey, uh, you're a little late on this week's lesson. So I had this community, this online community really pushing me to produce. And after 10 weeks, and it was one of the most exhausting 10-week stretches of my life. Um, I had this course complete and it was still selling and people were starting from lesson one and moving right on through and that's just kind of how that happened.
0: So how do you stay in touch with your community? Is it through comments or, or what is, what is the method that we're, a forum? What's the best method that sure. works for
1: you? I started with the comments and they just got, the, uh, the WordPress was just kind of a – the system I was using for the comments was, wasn't was a reliable one. It wouldn't keep me updated on, on exactly every time somebody was leaving a comment. So I wasn't give, being able to give great service. And then emails just got too flooded and clustered, and I was answering the same questions over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So what I just did is I, I just actually just launched version 2.0 at the beginning of this year of that academy. And I was going to put a forum in place so I could have all the questions in one spot. But at the last minute, someone had told me that uh, don't do that. Go ahead and just start a private Facebook group because that's where everybody is anyway. And everyone's got so many different social media passwords and places they have to log into to communicate and interact. Just go and create a a private Facebook page for your community members because that's where everybody is anyway. You'll be able to interact with them more and they'll interact with each other better. So just do that. And I did that and... Boy, that's that's been a huge success. So it's a private uh, group on Facebook. Correct. So when my members become a member of my Epic Academy to be, to learn how to invest in real estate, they immediately get emailed a link, a private invite link to my Facebook group.
0: So when you have a private group like that, can you? What happens if Facebook goes away? I, I, it's not going to go away, but there's not any way to to protect yourself in case. Um, you know, if something happens the way Facebook runs their business,
1: yeah, I've thought about that. and I, I've got everybody's email address. I, I yeah, I, I still interact with people on, on a weekly call. I still interact with people on I release two podcast episodes a week. So I'm in still constant communication with my community. Um, so if that does go away, then I just have to redirect them somewhere else,
0: yeah. as long as you have their emails, this mm-hmm. what I learned is' it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, nothing nothing beats email. So give us give us maybe one do-over advice that uh because I think you know everybody that's an entrepreneur or tried in business they're all going through ups and downs. Okay. So what do you think is the one thing that that somebody should keep in mind as 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 we go through these kind of roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur?
1: gosh you know there the, there's so many and, and I think I answer this question differently every time I'm asked of it. But what I was actually thinking about just this morning as I was driving into the office was um, taking responsibility for your results. Whether your results are good or your results are bad, take responsibility for them. Nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody can cause you to fail. No one can cause you to succeed. Certainly, there are people that can influence one way or the other. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. So you know, whatever position you find yourself in right now, if you're having a smashing success, God bless you and congratulations. You deserve it because you did that. And if you find yourself down and out as painful as it may be, you know what? You did that. You are a result of all the decisions that you've made up to this point in your life. And that can be good or bad news for some people. But the best news is that tomorrow is going to be a result of what the decisions you make today. So the past does not equal the future. The best is yet to come. Just just take action and take responsibility for your own life and your own results.
0: And if you would start business all over, uh, what would you do differently? If you could talk to yourself, you know, back, you
1: know, maybe with the music business, uh, what would you, what would you tell yourself? If I went back to the music business um, back then, I wouldn't. I would tell myself, "Don't try to do it all yourself." Um, be open to delegating. Discover what you do the best, what, and that's typically what you like doing. Um, and do that, and then then find a, a partner. find Find a good partner that likes doing the stuff you don't like to do, but that that is actually essential to the business. And you know, I didn't experience real success like the the success I'm experiencing now until mm-hmm. I did that. And uh, yeah. I heard a, a a a speech by I think it was. Yeah, it was Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, and I saw him talk at the beginning of this year, and he said, every great business has two people involved, and it's because no one has all the strengths required to make a business thrive all on its own, and so when he said that, I was just kind of like, you know what, let's just take that to the next level, because he's absolutely right. I'm killing myself trying to do everything. I'm stressing myself out, and there's a lot of things in my business I don't do very well, And, uh, he said, there's things that, that you hate doing that people find fun. And just imagine if you only had to do the fun parts of your business, how successful your business would be. And if everybody else in your business did the parts that they thought were fun and you had all your bases covered, how great would that business be? And so that's what I've been able to do. I've been able to bring on five full-time people and we've assigned them all the fun things in the business and we're experiencing a success like we've never had before. And it it shows no sign of stopping. So you have a, business partner then? I have two business partners, yes.
0: And how did you find these partners? Uh, Because I think it's such a risk, right, to take on a partner. It's a great thing. Sure. And I agree with you that you can do so much more if you have the right partners, but how do you protect yourself and what do you look for in a partner? Sure. Where do you find these partners?
1: It took me a long time to find them. I don't know if there's a place where you can just go, you know, 1-800-PARTNERS or PARTNERS-RS. Yeah, are a, you know, yeah takes, but what I mean is like social media, is it networking, you yeah, know, that, I think, that kind of stuff. Um, I found, just keep your eyes uh, open? or Absolutely. Uh, Mercedes, uh, she's my significant other as well. I met her at that real estate investing school. And we did not become partners right away. We both had our own thing going on, but we did eventually come together and just discovered that our strengths and weaknesses matched up really nicely. And the third partner that I brought on was actually one of my first coaching clients. So I brought him, he brought him on, and the three of us have just uh, been totally crushing it. So I guess you gotta you have to be intentional about your community and who you spend your time with. I think is probably the first place to start. Uh yeah. there there's a website called meetup.com. And mm-hmm. I haven't yeah. been there in a while, but I did used to frequent that uh website a lot where I would go out. And if you don't know it's a, you, you meet online but then you get to actually meet people face to face and in person. And doesn't matter what your interest is, it exists there whether it's wine tasting or basket weaving or real estate or MLMs or whatever it may be, rock climbing, whatever. You can find a group there that that has a a bunch of like-minded people. And I think that's a great place to start. And what I've found about being intentional about creating your environment is kind of like peer pressure. You know, when uh, when you're in high school, we can all remember something that we did something stupid, and we did it just because everybody else was doing it. And that's what we call peer pressure, and that has a negative connotation to it. But if you yeah. kind of kind of reframe that, what if you hung around people back then that were doing all the right things or the good things or the successful things? You know, what would you have done then because of peer pressure? And if you kind of adopt that into your your professional life and hang out with uh, people that are doing what you want to do, pretty soon you start to look around like, wow, I'm the only one who's not doing. And so that's just kind of the way human beings are wired. They they tend to assimilate. And you you have new relationships, more powerful relationships created, new resources available to you, new advice available to you, stuff that you would have never gotten had you not been intentional about creating that environment. So I think that's a a great place to start. And there's multiple benefits from it as well.
0: That's a great point. Now, what do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs?
1: Mm. The biggest time waster, I think... It, regardless of what, what your endeavor is, what your service is, what your product is, I think you need to identify what are the money-making activities. And as you start out, that's where you need to spend your time, in the money-making activities. And typically, it has something to do with sales. The The time wasters are all the things like setting up your business, developing your website, uh, ordering the right fax machine, getting your business cards made, getting a new logo made, all all that the bookkeeping, all of that stuff, that can all be farmed out virtually for really, really low price. And where it really clicked for me, and I guess it was the beginning of 2012, I had hired a business coach for the first time. And he had told me one thing, said, Matt, you are doing this, and you're doing this, and you're doing this. Do you realize you can get this done for $6 an hour, and this done for $7 an hour, and this done for $10 an hour? And I said, I know, but I, I don't, I don't want to have that money go out. He goes, but do you realize when you are spending your time doing those activities, it's you that's working for $6 an hour. It's you that's working for $7. It's you that's working for $10 an hour. You are worth so much more to this business. You are Your time is so much more valuable than $10 an hour. How much more money could you be making if you only had to spend your time on what paid you $500 an hour? And then you hired everybody else to do the 6 $7 an hour work. And that's where it really, really clicked for me. And looking back, I, I was thinking that I couldn't afford to hire people. And now I look now, I was like, I can't afford not to. So That's a great point. And yeah. so now I'm just like, okay, every time something new comes up, it's like, okay, who can I hire? Who can I hire to get this done? And that has changed everything. We've moved forward with extreme speed in the last year and a half with that mindset.
0: If you could train someone to be a successful entrepreneur, what would be the first thing you would teach that person? What, what do you think is the one thing they definitely have to be great at or, or, or do?
1: Um, I guess it would, it would be a little bit what I just said, is identify the money-making activities, do those activities consistently, and do them long enough. If you do that and you focus on the, the income-generating activities then you're going to be a successful entrepreneur.
0: That's great. On that note, Matt, I really want to thank you for coming on Success Harbor today. How can people connect with you or find out more about what you do?
1: Sure. Well, since they're listening to a podcast, you can find me probably the same place they can find you, George, on iTunes or Stitcher or any number of online aggregators out there for podcasts, and I've got Do Over. That's uh, my first podcast. My second podcast is Epic Real Estate Investing. And I just started a third with my personal trainer called Body Do-Over. And it's on health and fitness. So I've got those three podcasts, whichever, you know, I guess uh, area is of interest to you. Check me out there. You're a busy guy, Matt,
0: but I'm, I'm glad to see uh, see you succeed. And I wish you much success going forward. And again, thank you very much for coming on Success Harbor.
1: Thank you very much, George. And, and good luck to you as well. Thank you. Bye.